You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. <clears throat> good to see you today. It's good to be back with you. Last Sunday, I was um, in San Diego speaking uh, for a friend of mine at his church, but it's great to be back with you today. I want to say something about uh, this Pray for Five um, uh, effort and why we're doing this. In 2 Corinthians 4.6, uh, we are told, it, it says this, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And what it's saying is it's, it's referencing the moment in creation when God said, let there be light. And it's saying for, for those of us who have come to understand uh, who God is and place our faith in Jesus Christ, the real reason behind that is not because we're significantly different than anyone else. It's just like God did in creation, God said to our hearts, let there be light. And, and we began to see what we couldn't see before. We were in the dark before. So one of the reasons we are encouraging all of us to uh, think through five individuals that as far as we know are not part of any church or, or not really uh, people of faith and pray for them is because uh, most likely they're not praying for themselves. This morning, um, I was up early and I saw my neighbor heading out with his son. Looked like they were heading off to a, a baseball tournament. And so I just prayed. I prayed for him and I said, God, um, let there be light. And uh, I mentioned his name and his son. And I don't know for sure, but my guess is he, he didn't pray that this morning. So one of the reasons God has placed you in your neighborhood, uh, where you work, where you go to school, is so that you might pray for the people around you. Uh, I'm not going to pray for the people in your neighborhood because I don't know them. Uh, that's why you're there. So it's just very helpful to think through, okay, who specifically am I going to pray for over those, those coming weeks? And just pray, God, let there be light in their hearts. Open their eyes up to see who you really are. And another reason to do this is, is praying for people by name intentionally gets us ready for when God begins to move in their heart, begins to shine his light in their heart. I would say for me, one of the reasons behind some of the opportunities to, to love people, to share with people, uh, to help them, uh, some of those opportunities just passed me by because I wasn't thinking of them. I was thinking of my day and I had my head down focused on what I was doing. But when we, we pray for people, our eyes are lifted up, and we're looking out, and we're looking for opportunity. So this is, this is why we are doing this. So I would encourage you uh, to go ahead and sign up for this. Uh, just text, as it says on the back of that card. There's se several helpful videos, just little one- to two-minute videos of how to identify who you might pray for, some ideas on what to pray. Uh, we're going to do that over those coming weeks. So I encourage uh, everyone to be a part of that. Now today, let's uh, dive into the message. We're, we're beginning a four-part series called Revive. Now, the, the word revive simply means to restore life. And the reason that's important is because life, of course, is, is not a stable condition. Life is fragile. And so to be alive is to be subject to the forces that drain us of life. And that's why we get tired that's why we get sick. And as humans made in the image of God, we don't just get physically tired and sick. We get emotionally tired and sick. We get discouraged and we get anxious and we get stuck. 
So we are in continual need of being revived, of having life brought back to us as it's drained away from us. And that's the real purpose behind this series. Um, I had, we, had, we had planned a different series, and about a month ago I said, you know what, I, I think we need to do this for four weeks. And the reason is just, I mean, I don't know about you, but as I talk to people around me, everybody is some form of tired. You know, whether it's just physically drained or whether it's emotionally, we're, we're just exhausted and struggling. And so my sense is, as a church, we need to kind of get back to what it is that Jesus offers us that helps restore our life as we move through life and has, have its draining effects. So I, I think this will be really helpful for you, and um, if not, it's going to be helpful for me. So we're doing this for me. Now, we all have currently a revive plan. In other words, there are, there's stuff that you do and that I do right now that we do to try to bring life back into our life. So I just want you to think about this. What, what do you do to revive yourself when you're tired or when you're discouraged? Where, where do you go? Sometimes this is called coping strategies. You know, what, what do you do to kind of get your equilibrium and get going again? I mean, do you, do you exercise more? Do you sleep more? Do you watch more TV? Do you eat more? Do you drink more? Do you scroll through your favorite app? Now, most of, or much of what we do, many of our revive plans, and this is why we're addressing this, is many of our revive plans that are just handed down to us or that we pick up over time, they give us short-term relief, but end up draining us of life long-term. They don't really revive us. They just give us little gasps of air that kind of keep our nose just above water and end up kind of pulling us even further under. There's a, there's a group called the Positive Psychology Group, and they've got some helpful tools, but here's a wheel that they use to identify some of the most common um, or unhealthy coping strategies. Now, don't worry, you can't see all this, and th this is a whole lot, and I don't know all of what those categories mean, but on the outside of the wheel are some of the specific activities that are unhealthy, and it contains things like substance abuse, problem avoidance, emotional eating, isolation, procrastination, excessive screen time. Those are some of the things that are clearly identified as unhelpful revive plants. And I think we all know that those kinds of things don't revive us. So what does? Well, they've got a green chart to kind of mirror this other chart or counter it. And here's some, some helpful things, some helpful coping strategies. And there really are some, some helpful things uh, on this, this wheel. But it's a lot. I mean, if I gave this to you and said, hey, you're tired, do this. Ugh. I'm now more tired, more exhausted. So Jesus' revive plan starts with three simple words. And this is our focus today. Come to me, Jesus said. If you want life brought back to you, come to me. And really, over these four weeks, we're going to look very practically at what this means. This is not just a an emotional statement or even a, a faith statement. It, is, it has very specific ways in which God brings life to us as life is drained away from us. It comes out of, these words come out of Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary 
and burden. So it seems like this is not just a modern problem. This is 2,000 years ago. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I don't know if you picked up on this, but Jesus is indirectly pointing to the, the two main reasons why life is exhausting, why life is draining. The first reason is we are finite beings, which means we have a limited internal capacity. We can only handle so much. That's why we get weary. The second reason life is draining is there is burdens on the outside of us, the circumstances of life that are weighing on us. And they tend to expand over time. They don't just tend to go away and get easier. Now, ideally, the size of your internal capacity, whatever you can handle on the inside, would perfectly match the size of your external circumstances, you know, the burdens, the challenges, the, the frustrations that you're dealing with. That would be ideal, but we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a broken world that's been warped and shattered by the sin of others and our own sin. And that, that affects both of these causes of our weariness. It diminishes our internal capacity while at the same time increasing the problems the circumstances, the the size of our external burdens. Now, we can do some things to, you know, moderately increase our internal capacity. You know, if if we eat well, if we exercise, we get good sleep, do some of the things that are on that wheel, you know, we can just, you know, increase our capacity a little bit. And we can also decrease our circumstantial burdens a little bit if we make sure that we're not taking on more than we should and don't have a clear understanding of what we're responsible for and what we're not responsible for. That really helps. But even if we do both of those, in a broken world, we will still be weary and burdened. Life will just always be draining. That's why Jesus made this offer, come to me. He says, come to me and I will help you. This is the first point if you're taking notes in the outline. Come to me and I will help you. Often we are weary in part because we're trying to do everything on our own. And that's not how we were created. That's not how we were designed. We were not designed to handle the challenges of life alone. So what does it mean to take on his yoke? Well, Jesus was pointing, obviously, to a familiar farming agricultural image back in the day. It's a pair of oxen. These are just sitting there for show, but uh, in that day, they would be attached either to a cart to transport things, or they'd be attached to a plow to to plow a field. And this, of course, was the best way to get work done back then. Everyone knew that it was easier to carry a load with a team of oxen and a yoke, and it was easier to plow a field with the same. So Jesus is basically saying, would you team with me? Stop going it alone. Put your neck in the yoke that I'm in, and and I will help you. I will accomplish more. He says, take on my yoke and carry my burden. Now, when you read those words, if you're weary and tired, it sounds like more work, not less, right? So you've already got work. You've already got burdens. And Jesus says, okay, you weary and tired people, here's more. Add my yoke to yours and my burden to yours. 
And that sounds like more work, not less. We already have too much to do. So how, how is this actually helping us? What Jesus is really offering us is a way to increase our capacity to be able to handle the draining effects of life. A few years ago, I was um, installing a ceiling fan in our, our bedroom, and I can't remember exactly how many wires I had to uh, connect together to do that. I think it was maybe six connections. And for most of my adult life, whenever I needed to uh, attach two wires together and strip the insulation off the wires, I would go into the kitchen, find a sharp-ish knife, not too sharp, and I would go to the insulation, and I would try to get that insulation off without stabbing myself. I did that for most of my adult life. And the reason is because I knew there were tools out there for this. But I was always in a rush, and there wasn't too much. I don't do too much electrical work. And so my thought was, I'll just do this. But for some reason on that day, as I looked at those, wire, those connections, I thought, I'm done with the knife in the kitchen approach. So I stopped the project, got in my car, went to Home Depot, and I bought this tool. This has been great. This, is, this tool does many things. It, it's a wire crimper, it, it, it cuts wire, and it's got these, this neat little section where you pick the diameter of your wire, and you just put it over the wire and go like that, the insulation's gone. It's just amazing. I just... It's fascinating to me how many tools are out there that just make life so much easier. So on that particular project, because I went to Home Depot, I was adding work to my project, right? It would, it would have been quicker if I'd just done the thing that I always done. But what was happening is I was adding capacity to my future projects. So now, whenever I have electrical things, I just get this thing out, and I smile. I don't have to go to Home Depot. I've, I've already done that. I've already done the work. I now own the tool, and it helps me. This is what Jesus is offering us. He's offering us an exchange. He's saying, okay, you have a certain set of ways of handling the challenges of life. Let me exchange your ways for my ways. Let me give you a tool that will, I know it's work, I know it's going to take some time to acquire this tool. But if you do, then over time, you're going to add tremendous capacity to your life. In the long run, you're going to come out way ahead. What's the tool? Well, it's that yoke. He says, I'll offer you a yoke for your weakness. Again, that's a strange-sounding offer for help. But you have to understand, this is a come-to-me offer that Jesus is making you. In other words, it's a following offer. It's Jesus saying, I want you to learn how to structure your life. I mean, you get your neck in a yoke, your body is following. He says, I want you to team up with me so that you can work, I can partner with you, I can, I can help you as you face the challenges of life. It's a following offer. Now, honestly, we would prefer to not follow. We would prefer to run our own life and then when we need some help, we just call out to Jesus, and he comes running, and he helps us, and then he goes back to whatever he does, so we can go on to whatever we do. But that's not the offer that he's making. He's not saying, I'll come to you whenever you need me. He says, no, you come to me. We take on his yoke. He does not take on our yoke. Now, both yokes are work. 
ours, the way we, you know, a yoke is kind of the way we structure and organize our days. We all have yokes. Both are work, ours and Jesus's, but Jesus's is easier in the long run because it's attached to him. It's attached to his help. But it takes time. Uh, I wish it was something I could just go to Home Depot, pay $12, done. It's not that kind of tool. We must, as he says, learn how to do life his way. Come to me and learn from me, he says. Not just academically learn, that's a part of it, but more importantly, practically learn. You know, if you're going to plow with a yoke of oxen, there are some things you need to know, but there's a lot of skill that you need to learn. It's not just academic, it's practical. Now, in Jesus' day, the word yoke was used not just for teaming oxen, but it was also used to describe the teachings of the prominent rabbis or Jewish leaders of the day. And these prominent rabbis would develop a list of activities that you would do if you really wanted to follow their ways. So when someone followed a rabbi's ways, it was described as taking on the yoke of that rabbi. And so Jesus had been referred to as a rabbi. They, they heard, people heard him teach, and they immediately realized his wisdom, and so they began calling him rabbi. Now, the yokes of all of the other rabbis of the day were heavy, so heavy that really they were impossible to do. So most ordinary people had decided that teaming with God was something best left for the professionals. Normal people didn't have a chance. But Jesus is saying, that's not true. And my yoke is not like that at all. It's, in fact, it's light by comparison. Because Jesus says, I'm not just adding more to your life, I'm adding capacity to you by training you how to do life differently than you've been doing it. That's one of the main purposes for us as a church. Behind what we do here on Sunday morning, we work to be practical in terms of here's how you do life if you want to do life, you want to partner with God and do life His way. If you're a part of a growth group right now, we're, we're working to get practical on, so how would you take the ideas of this message and begin to do that in life, practically? We have training opportunities because it takes more time to really learn how to take on the yoke of Jesus. Yesterday I got here and there were a bunch of people in the student building for about a three-hour training. Why would people do that? On a Saturday morning, it's a beautiful day. Because their understanding is those three hours invested over the long term is, is going to make life more manageable. It's going it's to be lighter in the long run. Yes, three hours is three hours on a beautiful Saturday. But it's a training opportunity. So Jesus offers not only a, a yoke for your weakness, but there's another tool that he mentions later, and that's a cart for your burdens. So a yoke, of course, isn't just to train oxen how to walk together. You don't just put a yoke on oxen and say, all right, you two hang out. No, it, it's, a, it's a working arrangement. Its purpose is to pull something heavy. In a similar way, Jesus came to design a cart to attach to the yoke. It's called the church. Listen to what is said to the first century church in the town of Galatia in the New Testament letter of Galatians. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is 
his way, his yoke, his approach. His way of carrying our burdens is fulfilled in the context of being a part of his church. Recently, I was talking with someone in this church who is facing, and this is what they said, the hardest time of their life. That's a, that's a difficulty. And this individual said, I don't know where I would be without Seabreeze. I don't know how I would or my family would handle this without Seabreeze. And I, I've heard this so many times over my years here. And to be honest, my wife and I have experienced this several times ourselves. We have survived many of the challenges of life with the help of Jesus that's been delivered through this church. Our burdens have been hard but manageable because of the help of Jesus offered through this church. Now, one of the things you need to understand about the church is this, this cart service, this helping with other burdens service, is not something that we advertise and are able to offer to the community at large. We, we, we don't have the capacity to do that. This isn't something that you see on our website. Is life overwhelming? We'll fix it. We, we just can't, we can't do that. So the church is, is not a cart for the uninvolved who just are passing by and looking for some place to dump their heavy backpacks. It is not a cart that you rent when you need it. It is a cart, I want you to hear this, it is a cart that you build over time as you invest in a particular church that can be a real help when you need it most. It just takes time. It takes time. One of the reasons my wife and I, as we talk about our future, we don't want to leave this community. Mostly because, I mean, eventually I'm not going to be the pastor. I don't know why. It seems like I'm talking about retirement a lot. I'm not going to retire <laughs> anytime soon. But we, this is a cart that we've invested in for a long time, and we don't want to face life without the help. Because everything I can tell, life is just going to get harder. Why would I want to do it without the help of the cart of the church? The second offer that Jesus makes in the come to me thing is not only come to me and I'll help you, but secondly, come to me and I'll grow you. I'll grow you. Jesus not only helps us to handle more than we can handle, he helps to grow us so that we can handle more than we used to be able to handle. On the eve of his betrayal, Jesus took an extended amount of time to prepare for the burden he was about to face, you know, the burden of the cross. And he asks his disciples to join him in this time of preparation by watching out for him and praying for God's strength to endure what was about to come. I mentioned this briefly a few weeks ago, but I want to say a little bit more about this because this this has been so helpful for me. This is Matthew 26, 40 through 41. Jesus says, it says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. So he just said, hey, um, hard stuff's coming. Could you you just watch and, and pray for me a little bit? But he he finds him sleeping. He says, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? The obvious answer is, I guess not. He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And I encourage you to read the whole story because this happens three times. I can just imagine them. Okay, 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 we're awake, we're good. Jesus goes off, comes back, they're crashed. Three times. 
this happens. Why? Well, if you, if you read the context of this scene, it had been an absolutely challenging and crazy week for Jesus and his disciples. In fact, one-third of the record in the New Testament of the life of Jesus takes place on this one week. That's how much happened on that one week. And it was late at night. So why was Jesus able to stay awake and not them? Why was he able to go off and pray and watch, and they couldn't? We might say, well, he had an unfair advantage. He was God in flesh. Well, that's true. But that didn't mean he didn't need to sleep. He was God in flesh. His sleep needs were the same. He had the same kind of body. He didn't get like an upgraded human version body. He got a real human body. And Jesus was tired, just like they were. But Jesus, if you look at his life, he had a pattern of doing this, of watching and praying, watching and praying. So this was not a new discipline for him. This was something that he had done. And, and what's interesting is right after the disciples can't seem to stay awake for one hour, they end up actually staying awake for 24 hours because Jesus is arrested, there's a trial, He's convicted, he's sentenced to death. And that takes about 24 hours for all of that to happen, and none of them sleep during that 24 hours. And the reason is obvious, because their master is, is on trial for his life. And that's what a crisis does to all of us. When a crisis hits, we are awake. We can stay awake you know, for 24 hours, sometimes longer than that if we need to. But what we tend to do <clears throat> is not prepare for a crisis in advance. We react to it in the moment, but we do very little to prepare for it in the future. And part of the reason is because we don't know what the crisis is. If I knew every crisis that I'm going to face, I could begin making plans now, but I don't know. I can imagine some, but I don't know. They didn't know. And so what we tend to do is we tend to not prepare because we don't know what we're preparing for. But it's all of the small moments, like Jesus was asking them to watch and pray, before the moments of crisis that provide us with the opportunities to grow our capacity and get ready for the future burdens. So Jesus is saying that he will grow our capacity to face the future as you watch and pray. That's one of the key ways he's going to grow us. We just have to watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. Why watch? Because something that we can't see is coming. Now, I don't know what it is. I, I really wish I did. So how, how then do we watch? Well, the best way we can watch is to read and become familiar with the Bible. Because that prepares us for the broad range of whatever is coming. Now, the Bible, let's be clear, is not a crystal ball that predicts our future. The Bible gets us ready for the burdens of life because it covers every single category of challenge and how to prepare for that challenge. But that takes time. And usually, the best time to read the Bible occurs during the morning or late night hours, early morning, late night. And like the disciples, we're tired. It's easier to sleep than to watch. But if we don't know what the Bible says, then we will just keep being overwhelmed by what happens to us in life. That's why we watch. So why do we pray? It's 
It's because our, our tendency is just to handle the challenges of life alone. And prayer is a very simple way of saying, God help, of bringing our mind in line with the fact that we're not alone. God is here. Now for me, I almost always feel too tired to pray. I mean, one of the problems is I usually close my eyes to pray, and that doesn't help. Because that's what I do before I sleep, you know? And there are a lot of mornings when my alarm goes off, and I would prefer to sleep just a little longer rather than get up and read my Bible and pray about my day. But here's the problem. If I'm too tired to pray today, okay. But then what if I'm too tired tomorrow and then the next day and then most days? And before long, my pattern, my yoke, doesn't have watch and pray in it. And I'm once again facing the burdens of life in my own limited capacity. And that is always a recipe for weary and burdened. So the next crisis in life is coming. We don't know what it is. We don't know when it is. We just know that it's coming. And that's why Jesus says, watch and pray. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. This is fascinating. The spirit is what we intend to do. The body is what we actually do. Now, you may have a lot of intentions this afternoon, that's great, but your body is going to be a record of what you actually do this afternoon. The disciples said they would be there for Jesus. That was their intention. That was their spirit. They were willing, but then they ran. And this is similar to us. Like the disciples, we tend to overestimate our capacity to respond in the moment and underestimate our capacity to grow over time. This is, a, this is common with us. Just think of something you're struggling with. Just think of a temptation. We, we just think we should be able to handle this temptation, and what's wrong with us? We are overestimating our strength. But conversely, we're often underestimating the opportunities we have outside of the moment of temptation to prepare for the moment of temptation. That's what Jesus was teaching in the garden on the eve of his crucifixion. So what we do is we expect too much from ourselves in the moment, and we put too little into our growth every day. Growth is not something that Jesus magically grants us. Sometimes I hear people say things like, I don't know why God just doesn't, and they talk about some area of growth. Growth is not pixie dust. It's not a magic wand. Growth is something that God does miraculously. He works it in our life, though, over time as we direct our bodies to watch and pray. So how long, then, does it take for us to grow? I don't know. What I do know is longer than we would like it to take. I have spent a life disappointing myself, overestimating my growth, only to underperform in the moment. That's just the way it is. So rather than give us a growth time frame, you know, like work on this for five years, then you're good. God gives us a principle. Here's the principle. Jesus says, I'll grow you as you persevere. So how long? I don't know. Just keep going. Don't quit. Don't bail. Persevere. And here's the, here's the challenge. We want things to get better. Jesus wants us to become better. 
I mean, this is, this is the problem. We are, every day, we want today to be better. And that runs against the fact that God is designing the day to put enough pressure on us so that we can grow and become better. And so it's common for us to become weary when we expect things to be better by now, and they're not. Hebrews 10, 36-39 says something very helpful to say about perseverance. It says, you need to persevere. Why? So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. A lot of ideas. So let me, let me illustrate this way. What it's, what it's talking about is, let, let's say, this is your timeline. Here, here you are. You're heading this way into the future. And right now, you're weary and you're burdened. And so you cry out and pray for help. And Jesus does provide a measure of help in the moment. But a lot of the help, what he says you're saving, the rescue is set at a time and a place in the future. So you're here, you're facing a burden, you're facing a problem, and you say, God, please help. What we think is, make it go away. And God says, no, I'll help you take the next step. Up here, I'll make it go away. At some point, we don't know when, but at some point, he will save, he will rescue us. But it says, but if you shrink back, destruction will take, overtake you. Because it's not just us and our burdens, and it's not just God rescuing us at some point in the future. Ultimately, when we see him face to face, all of our problems will be gone. So there is a point in the future. It's not just those two things. There's destruction back here. And it isn't just sitting here. It's moving. It's stalking us. It is a stalking force. And if we stop moving, it will catch us. And this is just, we, we, we experience this in life. If we stop making progress in our marriages, those of us that are married, what will happen to that marriage? Destruction will catch up to it and destroy it. We stop moving forward in parenting. We decide, this is just too hard. I'm too busy. I'm whatever. Destruction will catch you. If you quit on God, I've seen this again and again. It's only a matter of time before your life is just a whole lot harder. But if you persevere, and what persevere means is not like under load. It means taking the next step, taking the next step. The next right step, the next right step. If you persevere, you keep going step by tired step, you will arrive at the place where God will rescue you up here. And this, this will happen over and over again in your life. You don't have to quit for destruction. All you have to do is give up. C.S. Lewis wrote a, a fascinating book called The Screwtape Letters. I've referred to it several times because it's just been so helpful for me. It's not the Bible, but it reflects a lot of truth in the Bible. 
And it's written about a, a devil. It was actually originally uh, radio addresses that he did on the BBC. And it's written about how a devil might be instructed in the art of temptation. And here's uh, a quote that addresses this timeline in God's future rescue. Here's what it says, to produce the best results from the person's fatigue. Now, this is, again, Satan's approach on how to mess up our life. To produce the best results from the person's fatigue, you must feed him with false hopes. Whatever he says, let his inner resolution be not to bear whatever comes to him, but to bear it, quote unquote, for a reasonable period. And let that reasonable period be shorter than the trial is likely to last. It need not be much shorter. The fun is to make the man yield, give up. Had he but known it, relief was almost in sight. Well, that's been so helpful for me. Because I find myself doing this. I, I put a time frame. Okay, so this circumstance, this challenge, certainly by this time next year it'll be over. And then when I get to that time next year and it's not, oh, you just have to persevere. Now, why would God delay our rescue? Because growth requires difficulty. You know, it's like weightlifting. If you want to strengthen your physical muscles, you have to put them under strain. I went on a 20-mile bike ride on Friday, and I told my wife, for some strange reason, I'm out of shape because I haven't been exercising for some strange reason. I wish that I could remain at the same level of strength, cardio, health, by sitting it on the couch watching TV. But that is not the way my body works, nor does yours. So we have to lift weights to increase capacity. And this is kind of like the offer to help Jesus. You know, the offer that he offers to help is, I'll help you some, but you're going to have to lift some. And so he helps us kind of more like a spotter, like this spotter helps the weightlifter. He knows our limits. He won't let us be crushed. But it's not going to do, he's not going to do all the lifting for us while we stand by and watch him. I'm going to wrap it up now because I'm running late. There's some other things that we'll share in another message. If we choose to handle life on our own, we are just going to be overwhelmed. We are all weary and burdened. That's why we all have some kind of revived plan. Jesus is offering us a better way. He says, come to him. In the next three Sundays, we're going to dive into the details. We're going to look specifically next week at what it is that drains us. And then in the two weeks that we wrap this up, what are, what are the activities what are the things that Jesus said we can do to bring life back into our lives? Let's pray together. Jesus, um, we thank you for this offer. And we admit that we are weary and we are burdened. And so we qualify. And I ask that you would help us to examine what it is that we do, the structure of our days and our lives, how we try to refresh ourselves, and how different that is from yours. We ask for your help 
And I pray for many in this room. I don't know all the circumstances. I know some. But God, I just pray you'd help them today before they put their heads down on their pillow, that you would help them to keep moving forward today. And then tomorrow, God, it will give them strength for that day, and then Tuesday, and then on and on. Help us to endure and keep going. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe, who trust you, and are saved. We thank you and we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.